good evening. Isn't it nice to see the word summer still on the screens there? Maybe we can hold on to summer as long as we can as we, as we do this series. If you'll turn in your Bible uh, to Psalm chapter 51, and, and as you're turning there, uh, maybe when you woke up this morning and you looked at your calendar or you looked at the date um, on your phone, uh, your mind, like mine, was immediately drawn back um, to a day 20 years ago on September 11th, 2001. Most of us remember where we were. Now, with, with our teenagers, it's interesting because many of them have no recollection of the attack on September 11, 2001. Some of our middle schoolers were born almost 10 years uh, after, after those attacks. They read about it in the history books, but if you're like me and you were around during those times, and I think most of us were, you remember exactly where you were in all of the events that day and for the, 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 the weeks that followed um, that tragedy. I remember I was in 10th grade at my school when the news started coming to the, the teachers at the school and you could hear some discussion and some, some talking about what was happening and all the students started to filter into the library where there was a TV. We didn't have our smartphones back then. There was a TV and we were watching what was unfolding and we tried to kind of make it through the school day as normally as we could, but nobody was thinking about academics. Uh, we got home and I remember watching the news and every, news, every channel, whether it was a news station or not, or not was talking about what was going on. Uh, remember the, the looks on people's faces that we saw on the television screen. And I remember a couple days later watching the news and there were on the steps of the Capitol congressmen, senators, Democrats, and Republicans all holding hands singing God Bless America. It was a remarkable display of unity. When Major League Baseball began again after the attacks, President Bush came out in Yankee Stadium and threw that first pitch, and the whole stadium, everyone in attendance, was unified behind our president. I remember that Sunday following the attacks coming here as a 10th grader, and the place was packed. I remember I, I was in what maybe we call the nosebleed section here, which is all the way over there in the corner. And I remember sitting there, and if my memory serves me correctly, we had a, a guest who was singing that morning, and she sang the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'll never forget not just the display of unity, but how people were flocking to churches. People were turning back to God. And I remember some people saying and hearing, hearing talk that this could be the beginning of a third great awakening in our country. But now here we are in 2022, and... We can look back over the last few years and we can see that even though there was some unity displayed, even though people started turning back to God, we didn't experience the great awakening that we hoped we did. And there are probably some, several reasons behind that, but could I challenge you to think that tonight maybe one of the reasons that we didn't experience a, a great awakening in our country, in our world, is because instead of being convicted and turning back to God, we were simply scared. And that confession didn't follow that turning back to God. We read here in Psalm 51 an incredible, incredible, incredible prayer. You know, many of the Psalms were prayers um, that David or one of the psalmists prayed. Through the, through the book of Psalms, we can learn how to pray. There have been a lot of great books written on prayer. Uh, there are a lot of books that I have in my library written on prayer that, that have helped me tremendously in my prayer life. But the number one book that's helped me in my prayer life and the number one book that will help you in your prayer life is the book of Psalms. Uh, we read the most incredible, incredible, incredible uh, examples of what it means to come before the Lord, sometimes in, in, in adoration, sometimes in thanksgiving, sometimes in asking for things and supplication, sometimes in lament, and sometimes confessing, confessing sins. 
Let's read together Psalm chapter 51, and then we're going to make some observations and, and, and kind of go verse by verse through this, through this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take, me, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me, uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from, from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and with my mouth I will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bull will be offered on your altar. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you uh, this evening wanting to see you work in our lives, wanting to see you work in our homes, wanting to see you work in our families. Uh, but God, we come to you tonight uh, confessing that before you work through us, often you want to work in us and cleanse us and purge us and, and make us clean vessels upon which you take the gospel, the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. So God, I pray that this evening, Lord, that we will, we will fall in love with you as someone who forgives. Uh, Lord, that this evening that we will see how loving you are and how patient you are and how kind you are. But Lord, that we'll see how severe sin is, how important it is that we're right with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story. I, I'm a history guy. I like World War I, World War II history. And, and before World War, World War I, the Prussian king, uh, Frederick the Great, was once touring a Berlin uh, prison. And the prisoners fell on their knees when they saw him come into their prison cell, and they were all declaring their innocence. It's the classic story. I, I'm innocent. I didn't do what they said I did. And they were all declaring their innocence except one man who stood with his hands, his hands by his side in the back. It caught King Frederick the Great's attention. So he called to him. He said, why are you here? And the man said, armed robbery, your majesty, was the reply. The king asked him, were you guilty? He said, yes, indeed, your majesty. I deserve my punishment. So Frederick the Great summoned the jailer, ordered him in, and he said, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in the prison where he will corrupt all these fine, innocent prisoners. <laughs> and so often, so often when we read a psalm like this, it's easy to turn it into a set of binoculars, or it's easy to turn it in. Uh, to a telescope and use it to, use it to think about all of the ways that other people we know in our life have sinned. 
uh, we often don't use the Bible as a mirror to shine light into our own lives. So I want to challenge you as we, as we go, go through here um, to think about this. Uh, because we see someone here in David who was one of God's greatest, greatest heroes of the Bible. There's only one hero of the Bible, it's Jesus. But a, a man who God used in mighty, mighty, mighty ways. But even David fell into sin. But what's so, what's so encouraging is that the other side of confession of sin is joy. At the other side of confession of sin is a powerful prayer life. At the other side of confession of sin is, is a witness that God will use to reach many, many, many people. So as we look into Psalm chapter 51, we see the power of confession in three different ways. And, you know, we're supposed to alliterate these things, so I did my best uh, to alliterate them uh, if you're a note taker. But the first thing that we see as we look through the first six verses is that we see that when we confess our sins, it has to involve the right perspective. It has to involve the right perspective. You notice how David begins. He says, have mercy on me, O God, and he goes right to who God is. You know, it's important that we know who God is. And, and it's, it's a shame that sometimes as, as Christians, we, we want to go right to the, how do I, you know, what are six ways to, 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 to have a better marriage? Or what are you know, six ways to have a more enjoyable life? We need to see God for who he is. And David saw God for who he is. And he starts, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That's, that's the word that we, we have in, in, in the Old Testament that has to do with his loving kindness, his being long-suffering, his loyal Love And David is looking back over the course of God's history with Israel and how Israel would turn away from God. And God would go after them and restore them when they would confess. And they'd turn away from God again. And how loyal and how steadfast God's love was among a people who were anything but steadfast. God is a steadfast God. And David, when he had messed up in a very significant way, he appealed to God's steadfast love. He said, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Why did David need abundant mercy? The occasion of this psalm finds David in a situation that if you were to, if, if you were to read David's life up until that point would be a big surprise. David was quite literally on top of the world. He was on top of his palace and, and he had witnessed a woman bathing um, on, on a rooftop and, 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 and David brought that woman in and he committed adultery with her conceived a child in that adultery, and because of that child becoming a, yeah, becoming a problem and would expose David for his adultery, he sent this woman's husband to the front lines of battle and ordered his troops to retreat, in essence, killing that man, committing murder against that man. So we find David here as an adulterer, as a murderer, but the king of God's chosen people, he needs abundant Mercy, And he knows that in God he can find abundant mercy. He says, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. There's only one person who has the power to blot out sin. And it's the Lord. It's God. He has the power to cleanse. So we, we see who God is. He has the right perspective on God. But he also has the right perspective on sin. Look at the pronouns here. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you and you only. I have sinned. We find David taking responsibility for his sin. We see what is, what is so egregious, what is so important about sin that it must be confessed. We see the nature of sin here. 
He says, blot out my transgressions. That word has to do with the legal aspect of our sins. Our sins are a transgression against God's law. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. That has to do with our cleanliness before God. That has to do with our our, our moral cleanliness. Cleanse me from my sin. That's the general word for sin, which has to do with missing the mark of God's perfection. We live in a time where at, at worst sin is celebrated. Sometimes even within the church, sin is rationalized. We call it sometimes brokenness. We call them mistakes, and sin can lead to brokenness, and sins are mistakes. But sins are so much more than brokenness. Sins are so much more mistakes. Sin sin is a transgression of God's law. It attacks his moral character, and it misses his mark of perfection. And David was a very intelligent man. He could have tried to come up with ways to rationalize his sin. We see David calling his sin what it is. We have to have the right perspective on sin, and we also have have to have the right perspective on ourselves. Like we said, David took responsibility for his sin. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He didn't blame all of the circumstances and all the pressures that he felt, all the weight that he felt as a king. We live in a we live in a time where when someone has a moral failure, they usually put out a statement on Twitter. And it's part of an apology and part of an explanation as to why they feel that they were allowed to do what they did. But we find David taking responsibility for his sin. He realized he had a sinful nature. Verse 5, he says, I was brought forth in my iniquity. One of the passages that could be read it very easily alongside Psalm chapter 51 is 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We were all born with a sin nature. Thanks be to God that when we put our faith in him, that his Holy Spirit came to live inside us and gives us power over sin, but we still struggle with that sin nature. This side of heaven, we will deal with that sin nature, but it's great to know that we have the Holy Spirit inside us. But David admitted I was brought forth in my iniquity. We don't have a little champion inside of us when we're born. We're born with the sin nature. James chapter 1 verse 14 says that everyone is tempted when they're drawn away from their own lust and enticed. And we see David taking responsibility for his sin. And we see in verses, uh, verse number 6 that it's a hard issue. It is a hard issue. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. One of my favorite commentators to read had a, had a good way to put it here. He said, Herbert Lockyer said, it's a heart issue. Root and fruit must be dealt with. Before David committed a sin, the sin of adultery, before David committed the sin of murder, it started with a sin in his mind and it started with a sin in his heart. And he's not only taking responsibility for the consequences of his sin, he's taking responsibility for the root of his sin, which is his sinful nature and a sinful heart. God sees the heart. So it has to start with the right perspective on God, the right perspective on sin, the right perspective on who we are. It's, it, it, like I said, it is a shame that we don't, we, we don't, we don't talk, enough, talk a lot about doctrine. But maybe the reason that we don't talk a lot about doctrine is because we really don't want to have to go through what it means to get right with God. It started with the right perspective. But then he had the right purpose. He had the right purpose in mind. If we keep reading in chapter, excuse me, verse number seven, he says, purge me with hyssop 
and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 7 kicks off a list of, of that I can find six specific things that David asks of God relating to his confession and relating to, relating to his desire to be made right with God. And the first is David asks for cleansing. David asks for cleansing. He says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a, was, was a plant that was used to ceremonially cleanse lepers. So they could, be, they, they could be made ceremonially clean. He says, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Wash me from what? There's a, there, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that helps us to maybe to understand what, uh, what David was asked to be washed from. I think about Isaiah chapter 1 where God lists all of the sins of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And verse number 18, he says, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they will be white as snow. Have you ever got a stain on your shirt? Maybe some of you are like me. I'm not allowed to wear white shirts. It's just not not, not a good idea. I was in college and we were invited as seniors to go to the house of our college president for a, a special get-together for seniors. And we knew that we would get to have our picture taken with, with the president of the college, Dr. Jerry Falwell. And, and I, was driving to the, I was driving to his house with some of my friends. And it was going to be a big thing. There were going to be hundreds of students there. We decided to get some food on the way, and we stopped at McDonald's. And I had a nice quarter pounder, and I was eating and driving. And, had a white shirt on, as you can imagine, you know what's going to happen. The big glob of ketchup gets on my white shirt. My friend Ryan said, Matt, it's okay. I've got a Tide pen. So he said, once you get out of the car, he said, just rub that Tide pen all over that stain and it'll be gone. Well, I got out of the car, took that Tide pen, and the more I rubbed that Tide pen on that ketchup, it started from a little stain to taking up about half of my shirt. So I don't know what happened to the picture, but there's a picture of me and some of my friends with Dr. Jerry Falwell, and I have a big red stain on my shirt. I was talking to a teenager on Wednesday who was talking about how they just got a a shirt that was red, and they mistakenly put it in with some white laundry. I've done that too. What happens? Does, Does the white laundry make the red shirt white? No, the red shirt makes the white laundry pink. You've got a lot of pink socks and shirts, right? David essentially did the same thing before he came to confessing his sin before God. The trying to cover up the sin, this plan that only a desperate person could come up with. Let's let's bring her husband back from the battlefield and, and let him spend some time with his wife so that maybe he'll lie down with her and maybe they'll think he'll think the child is his. When he wouldn't do that, he was too much of a man of character. Well, let's send him to the battlefield. Maybe he'll get killed. We'll pull everybody back. David, the more he tried to cover up his sin, to remove the stain of his sin by himself, the bigger he spread it. And what we see here is that only God can forgive sins. The promise, though, your sins be red like crimson. Or according to some of the stories, though you have a big ketchup stain on your shirt. Though you put your red shirt in with white laundry, only God can take something that's unclean and make it clean. And David asks for that. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He asks for cleansing. Then he asks for hope. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Psalm chapter 32 gives us a little insight onto how David felt 
when he was wrestling with the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his heart. People try to repress the sin, but there's no substitute for a right relationship with God. Some of the most angry, obstinate Christians that you'll meet, or sometimes that we are, are Christians who are not where they should be with God. Christians who are out of fellowship with God. And David, could, he, he could feel it. He could sense that he was not in a right, right relationship with God. David was a songwriter. David was a musician. He said, let me hear joy and gladness. Every song, if David had a radio, they didn't have radios back then. If David had a radio, every song would have been a country song at this point. Every song would have been a sad song. Uh, David could not rejoice. He couldn't find it within him to rejoice because he knew he was at odds with God. But he knew that through God, through the, 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 the forgiveness and the restoration of God, he could find joy again. He could hear joy and gladness. He could rejoice once again. He asked God for hope. As we keep reading, we see he asked God for reconciliation. Hide your face, verse 9, from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He asked for, he asked for reconciliation. God will not, God will not tolerate sin in our lives. He's a holy God. We, we started with the perspective, right? We started with the perspective that God is a holy God, that he sees not just what we do, but he sees who we are, that we have to take responsibility for our own sins. And David said that it, only by an act of God can I be put in a right relationship with him. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. He asks for a clean heart. He asks for a new heart. He asks for regeneration. That word that is used here for create in me a clean heart, same word, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He knew that the only way for his heart to be right and his heart to be pure in the eyes of God was for the creator of the universe to do a work in his heart. You know, we, we, can't, we can't teach our way out of our sin. We can't give money out of our way to our sin. We can go on mission trips and we can serve in vacation Bible school and we can listen to a million podcasts from a million different, you know, million different places, but unless we have God do a work in our hearts, we can't be made right with him. We can't be made right with him. He asks for regeneration. He asks for mercy. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from within me. I can't help but think that David maybe at this point could have been thinking back to the time that he spent playing the harp for King Saul when God had taken his hand of blessing off of King Saul. And he saw the, he saw the dissension. He saw the decline of someone who at one point God had used to do some incredible things. And I can't help but think David knew that if there was anything if, if there's anything he couldn't deal with, it would be for God's hand and for God's presence to not be with him. As believers, we have the incredible, incredible, incredible promise that the moment we put our faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit took up residence inside our hearts. And that no matter what we do, no matter how, how, how deep our sin problem is, that God's Holy Spirit will never leave us. It's a sealed until the day of redemption with God's Holy Spirit. But we also know through God's word that through our actions, through our passivity, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We want God's Holy Spirit to, to fill us and to stir us and to use us. And it's only by the mercy of God, through his forgiveness, that God starts moving in our hearts and moving in our lives again to use us again. Finally, he asks for 
restoration. And this is the other side of confession. We, confession is something that nobody maybe enjoys doing unless you're strange and you're like Martin Luther. He said this. He said, I would let no man take confession away from me, and I would not give it up for all the treasures of the world since I know what comfort and strength it has given to me. I don't know that Martin Luther was talking about the beginning of confession where the conviction happens. I think he was talking about the verse 12 part of confession where God restores, let's read it together, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with me with a willing spirit to sustain me. What an incredible, incredible, incredible thing that David asked. And through, the, through, through God's word and through what we can read about the life of David, we know that God did do that. We know that, that God did restore the joy of David's salvation. And what we know through the Bible, like I said, John, John, 1 John chapter 1 is a great companion to read along with Psalm chapter 51. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the whole passage that that was written in, the context that that was written in, has to do with our fellowship with God. That Greek word in 1 John is koinonia, meaning having a common life with God. What an incredible promise that if we confess our sins, those of us who are believers and put our and have our faith in Jesus, that if we confess our sins that we can go back into a common life with God. And we need to be careful in in the way that we understand salvation and salvation is not anything that we could earn and I think most of us understand that. But salvation is also not anything that we can keep. We need to be really wary of teaching that says that we need to judge whether or not we're saved by what we do. We can't earn our salvation. We can't keep our salvation. It's Jesus from beginning to end. And what we see here is that we can have joy in our salvation, not looking behind our shoulder thinking, did my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? Do my, do my good deeds prove that I'm a true believer or do my bad deeds have to make me wonder? We're saved by faith alone, in Jesus alone. And when we, when we sin, when we, when, when we make mistakes and we transgress God's law, we can be restored back into a fellowship with God. To put it another way, being saved changes our relationship to God. We're his children. We're heirs. We're forgiven. Confession changes our relationship with God, our walk with God, our common life with God, that we can live with him every day in his power and in his love and in his mercy and in his grace. He asks for restoration. I know a lot of us in our lives, uh, we've experienced that before. We've experienced those times where we've come back to God and God has restored the joy of our salvation. We've re-entered into that common life with God, walking and talking with him every day. I know many of us, there are people in our lives that we know that it's, it's our heart's desire and we wish more than anything else we have in us that they would re-enter that common life with God. And what we learn here is that just as sure as God for, can forgive our sins, God can forgive the sins of those we love. Some of us have, have brothers, sisters, children, grandchildren, parents who put their faith in Christ, but they're not living for God. They're not, they're not living a life pleasing to God. There is hope here that their salvation, the joy of their salvation can be restored back into their life. It's an incredible, incredible hope. The final thing we see is the product of confession. We see the other side of confession. 
part of that common life with God is that God doesn't just work in us, that he works through us. In this product, the products of confession, the first one we see is that there's a powerful witness. Verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise. Some of us, if we would open our hearts to God and we would allow him to to clean and to cleanse and we would confess our sin, God could do some incredible, incredible, incredible things through a simple vessel so long as it's clean. We read in Psalm chapter 32, you can turn there if you want, we read David fulfilling this promise. This was more of a, this was not a foxhole prayer. This was not a, a David bargaining with God saying, well, if you, if you will forgive my sins, I will do this. This is David saying, Lord, please forgive my sins because I know the, the, the product of that forgiveness means that I will be a powerful witness to God. Remember, David was the king of Israel. He was, he was in, in, in a sense, a representative of God to Israel. He was the spiritual leader of Israel. And we see in Psalm chapter 32, he said, blessed is the one who tra- whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I think those words have a lot of meaning when you realize that David isn't just saying this, he's lived this. Blessed is the man who the Lord counts no iniquity against, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day and night. For For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will trans- confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We see here that what David knew would happen when he received that forgiveness, when the joy of his salvation was restored, we see it happening. We see David being a witness to the people of Israel. He's once again singing God's praises. I would imagine he's once again writing hymns of praise to God that are sang in the congregation of Israel. David once again becomes a powerful witness to God. I'm a, like I said, I like to study history, and I'm a student of the, some of the great awakenings that have happened in the United States. And what's so interesting about some of these great awakenings in the 1700s and the mid-1800s, it, it, they, they both started with a small group of people. And the common denominator is those people got real with God and started confessing their sins to God. And God started using them, ordinary people, in incredible ways. We see the product of confession is a witness, a powerful witness, but it also has to do, the product of confession, it affects the, our posture. It affects the way that we, we, we approach God and the way that we deal with others. If we keep reading in verse chapter 16, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. We find David before his sin on top of the world. We find David before his sin feeling very, seems to be very entitled. We find David before his sin really being where he shouldn't have been. He should have been out fighting with his men. We see David on the other side of confession, humbled. We see him broken in the right way. One of the most impactful things that happened to me as a, as, as a college student was 
my, my senior year, I took a, took a class on prayer. And that class on prayer was, was, was led by uh, one of my favorite professors. His name was Dr. Elmer Towns. And it was a large class. There were about 150 or so people in the class. And he literally taught us to pray through the Psalms. And some students in the class became so convicted of their need to pray more, specifically to pray prayers of confession to God and to get right with God that they decided that they were going to have a prayer service. And they invited the whole class to come, and we met on top of a mountain, and they handed out glow sticks to every student. And there were probably, by the time the word got all around, there were probably about 200 of us there on top of on top of a Candler's Mountain in Lynchburg, Virginia, and we started praying together, confessing sin together. And, and as we prayed and as we confessed sin, we each broke our glow sticks. And if you've used a glow stick before, you know how that works. You break the glow stick. Sometimes you have to shake it a little bit. And, and the brokenness of that glow stick causes that glow stick to shine. And what we, see, what we, what we saw through that, it was, it was an incredible time. And there, people were saved during that time. We did it week after week after week. People were saved during that time. Many were called into ministry during that time. It was an incredible time of God moving. But the representation of what God was doing in the hearts of many people was when that glow stick was broken, it was finally able to shine. And for so many of us in our life, until we allow God to, to break our hearts for the sin in our lives, we'll never shine how he, wants us to, how he wants us to shine. It's a powerful posture. And then finally, a powerful prayer life. I love the way this psalm ends. It ends with another prayer. David has taken his sin to God. He's confessed. He had the right perspective on it. He owned up to his sin and threw himself at the mercy, threw himself at the mercy of God. Experiencing the forgiveness of God, what does he do? He goes right back to interceding for his people. He says, do good, design in your good pleasure and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. This reminds me of James chapter 5, excuse me, James chapter 6, where it says, confess your sins to one another. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I truly believe that one of our greatest ministries as believers, as members of this church, is to live our lives in a way where we are kept pure vessels to be witnesses for God and to be prayer warriors for the people around us that need to know God. If we want to see God do a work in, in our lives personally, we want to see God do a work in our church, if we want to see God do a work in our nation, I truly believe it starts with a small group of people who are willing to get right with God and to stay right with God and to live that common life with God and allow him to use our broken lives to shine the light of the gospel to the people around us. So we see here an incredible prayer. Maybe one that we, is not enjoyable to read on the front side. But we see on the back side of this prayer is incredible joy. On the back side of this prayer is incredible, in, in, incredible movement of God through the life of David and through the lives of others. So how do we apply this? Four things maybe you want to write down or you want to consider. First thing is we have to admit that sin is a big problem. This is so antithetical to our culture. Unfortunately, this is so antithetical to Christian culture in some of, in some of our, among some of people in our country. Sin is a big problem. 
Just as David's sin, as egregious as that was, it separated him from God relationally as far as his fellowship with God. Our sin, while it cannot change our relationship to God, once you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and you can't uncreate a new creation. But it does affect the way that we walk with God. It affects the joy that we experience. It affects our ability to be good witnesses to the people around us. It affects the effectiveness of our prayer life. We have to admit that sin is a big problem. Second thing is we need to practice and teach confession. I thought about, I, I never did come up with a title for the, for the sermon tonight. It's Psalm 51. First I thought, how David dealt with his sin. But then I thought, well, maybe it's how we should deal with our sin. If we sin. And then I thought, well, maybe it should be how we should deal with our sin when we sin. It's not a matter of if we sin. We have the sin nature inside us. I, I'm looking forward to when we, when I no longer have that sin nature and I can no longer empathize with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 when he, when he wrote, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. I'm looking forward to the day when, I, when this, this corruptible flesh is traded for the incorruptible and I no longer have to struggle with my sin nature. But right now, we're living in times where there's a spiritual war going on in our lives every day. It's not a matter of if we're going to need to pray the prayer of confession. It's a matter of when. And I was watching. I've been watching a lot of college football, a lot of professional football. Cowboys play tonight, 8.20. So I've still got an hour and 15 minutes to go. So we're good. Um, the teams that do the best, and don't, aren't we excited about one team that did the best yesterday? Uh, the teams that do the best are the teams that are prepared for the scenarios that they may they may face. Sin is a scenario that you, we won't possibly face. Personal sin is a scenario that we will face and continue to face this side of heaven. We need to have a plan, and this is the plan. We also should be teaching our children not just to avoid sin, but how to deal with sin when they sin. You know, we should obviously, no doubt, absolutely try to help our, te help our teens and help our kids learn how to avoid sin. Don't want to dismiss that. That is important. But you may not know this, but every once in a while your kids mess up. You may not know that. I know you think, oh, your kids are angels and you're grand, especially you grandparents. So you're going to have the hardest time with this because you, you, know, you, you see them through rose-colored glasses. I know. But we need to, what if we model for our kids? What if we model for our grandkids not just a, a facade of perfection, but when we mess up in front of our kids, they see us confessing. And we set for them a pattern, not just of avoiding sin, that's a good pattern to set, but a pattern of dealing with sin right away and living in fellowship with God. The third is believe it's not too late for us and others to be made clean. The reality is sometimes it's easy to think, sin is more accessible in some ways, especially things like pornography and, and things that years ago they were so inaccessible. Now, with the flip of a switch, it's accessible. Some people, we think that what we've committed, what we've seen, what we've done, God could never forgive. We look at this example of David and remember that God can forgive even the greatest sin. 
that there's no, there, there's no sin too red that can't be blotted out by Christ's forgiveness. We need to remember that for others too. You know, there are a lot of us, that we, there are people we know, there are people we love, and our heart breaks for the decisions they make. We wonder <laughs> if it's been so long that maybe they'll, they'll never change. We have to remember the power of confession and the power of forgiveness and that maybe God will send into their life someone like Nathan was to, to, to King David who brought them to a place where they realized they had to confess their sin. Believe that this side of heaven is not too late for us and for others to be made clean. And the final thing is rest in God's forgiveness. I, love the, I, I, loved, I ran across this a couple years ago, the note that uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe wrote next to his notes on the book of Micah. Micah chapter 9 talks about how our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. Well, here's what he wrote. He quoted, he quoted Micah chapter 7, 9. He said, how he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And Dr. Wearsby added the note, and God has put there a no fishing sign. Isn't that incredible to know that when our sins are confessed, David's sin didn't go away. It's forever recorded in God's word. The consequences of David's sin didn't go away. He dealt with the family drama for years and years and years. But in the eyes of God, David was made right with him. And we have that opportunity to do so. Our kids have that opportunity. Our grandkids have that opportunity. Our neighbors have that opportunity. There's no one beyond the saving power of God. And there's no Christian beyond the forgiving power of God.